Hello, everybody. Welcome to Alphabet Scoop, 95 Google's weekly recap and discussion of the biggest Google-related news of the week. I'm Kyle Bradshaw, and as always, I'm joined here by my delightful colleague, Abner Lee. Hello, and we're recording a day later because it was Memorial Day here in the States. Um, so there was that. So let's get a light in. And the big news of the day, as promised from us, are the first Pixel Watch 2 specs. So at the start of the month, we reported that the Pixel Watch 2 is coming, uh, announced alongside the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro this fall. And we now know some things about it, some pretty substantial things about it, actually, starting with the ever-so-important processor. We are hearing that the Pixel Watch 2 is powered by the latest Snapdragon wearable chip, which would be the uh, W5 line. Um, Previously, uh, Qualcomm did um, a Snapdragon 3100, uh, 4100 naming, but for this latest generation, they decided to switch over. And this is a much more modern chip compared to what came before with the current Pixel Watch running an a Samsung Exynos that's what five years old now, uh, built on a 10 nanometer process, and we're going to four nanometers um, with a quad core versus dual core designed. And this is just overall a much more modern chip that, sh- that maybe the Pixel Watch should have started on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like, there's no reason that if they could have done this one year later, I I don't think it made any sense to release the... the, I don't want to say subpar because it is good for what it is, but the the debut Pixel Watch could have been significantly better, is what this reporting is telling me. Yeah, so... So the Pixel Watch has been in, in development for a long time before it was announced last year, before it was released in October of 22. And when it was announced in May of 22, it was a, the development cycle was really a long time. So, so much so that at one point, it only had a gig of RAM, I believe. Um, so yeah, this it was in development for a long time, and I guess the the going theory, the most charitable theory, is that Google had this basis for a chip, and that uh, and they, that they started the Exynos nine one one zero, and it's it's been such a long time that's that's what they were focusing their development efforts on, and they didn't this decide. It was a good idea to switch into something newer, which would have been something like the W920, which is what the Galaxy Watch 4 and 5 are using, and were very much out there uh, this time last year. Right. It Bring up a good point, though, that it, it it's still surprising to me that Google would decide to switch chip manufacturers for this, or chip designers, you should say, or I should say, but... it. Uh, with all of the effort that they've been putting behind Exynos chips into making Tensor this whole thing, uh, mm-hmm. it's surprising to me that they would switch back to Qualcomm at this point. Uh, I don't know if that's maybe just to maintain a good relationship with Qualcomm or if they are s- simply going for different goals with the watch. 
because the the Pixel Watch has some AI features, but it's it's not like they're not trying to go for tensor level here. No, I suppose uh, we're definitely not there yet, and I don't think we've seen any indication. Well, it, <laughs> we thought that um, the next generation Google Assistant, the on-device Assistant, would be what's available on the original Pixel Watch last year. I would you? I guess there's some elements of that in terms of on-device processing, or not even that, just like shared architecture, right? Yeah. For the nuts and bolts of it, of the Assistant processing, but it's nothing. It's nothing close to the phone. You're right. So the other thing, though, is we don't know necessarily about what coprocessor is going to be in this watch. That's one of the big question marks still up there. Because yes. as you said, there's the Snapdragon W5 and there's the W5 Plus. Uh, we weren't given specifics on which of those two chips it is, but the only bit real difference is what coprocessor is included. Mm-hmm. So the nuance there is the W5 Plus has Qualcomm added its own co- coprocessor, or as it has been doing for the past few years, um, so the so to power to power many of the to offload rather many of the features that that don't have to be on the main processor. The interesting thing about the coprocessor is that it's pretty big um, on the 4100. Plus, it was a 28 nanometer chip uh, coprocessor. And then in W5 Plus, it's still a 22 nanometer versus 4 nanometer for the main chip. So it's not state of the art, so to speak, but it is there. Uh, so the, the reason why this coprocessor is important because on the Pixel Watch today, I believe that Google very much touted like this coprocessor work as allowing for. Uh, this sub, this per second heart rate. I think that was one of the things that they customized, or one of the things they're proud of working on. So, if in in that light, it's interesting how I don't know. Maybe they're keeping the same architecture, um, so that they can uh, a component reuse and yeah. So yeah, that's the chip aspect of it in terms of it's. So it's a better chip all around. It's faster. We're starting to see this chip in actual Wear OS devices. Our colleague Ben just reviewed the TicWatch Pro 5. Um, It has the latest chip. It has the latest specs. Um, It has a lot of extra stuff, extra software, a skin on Wear OS almost. Um, But otherwise, we haven't really seen the W5 on well less yet and this this would be a as you're referring to kyle this is a big win for qualcomm for the for the part for the relationship with google yeah it's it's fun not fun it's interesting to watch qualcomm rebound in the last couple of years let's say with uh samsung moving its galaxy s series away from using exynos uh and now Google is returning to Snapdragon in for its Pixel line, although in a limited fashion. But that's still these are still big big pluses for Qualcomm. So it's interesting to watch this rebound happen. Mm-hmm. And the it's I'm not sure how much it says about Samsung's uh, own chip development or where they're going with the Exynos, but 
Google, for whatever reason, didn't deem them, I don't know, worthy or their chipset competitive enough to power their next main wearable device. Do you think that this but, could be an indication of maybe a change coming to Tensor, or maybe that Tensor isn't necessarily locked to Exynos in any way? Yeah, that would be interesting if they change foundries. Um, so far, the, with the Tensor G3, we don't expect that. But moving beyond that, and very much seems that Google has a long-term roadmap for this kind of stuff. But at the, at the same time, on the phone side, it's very difficult to do a switch, I think, to switch that drastically. They need to keep iterating and working they already have a foundation. They'll throw that. It seems that switching foundries would basically require them to reset everything, to reset all their work, and and that seems increasingly unlikely at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. We're we're we've all, we're just at the beginning of the most recent Pixel refresh, so I guess uh, it'd be too early for them to do that once again. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what this chip does, uh, the the most solid thing that we've been able to piece together is that it leads to much better battery life on the Pixel Watch 2. Um, we're hearing that you, you'll be able to get over a day's worth of battery life on the Pixel Watch 2, even with the always-on display enabled. And that was just not possible with today's... Well, I wouldn't say... On the current Pixel Watch, the official ratings, you get 24 hours, but with the AOD turned off. Uh, that was a Google's official rating, but I don't know. In practice, I would say that you definitely couldn't get 24 hours, but you could get, I don't know, uh, most of your day with the AOD on. You would have nothing. It's debatable whether you could sleep with it um, uh, after having a full day after having, I don't know, uh, 14, 16 hours of the AOD on, but it, it not much room for comfort there, not much gap, but now you can, and this is a really significant jump in battery life. I agree. I, I don't particularly care about AOD, but what I do want is to be able to turn tilt to wake back on, because at this point, just to stretch battery life as much as I can, because charging the Pixel Watch is just frustrating, mm-hmm. I... Um, which I, I got a, a point to bring up here in a minute, but um, I I turned everything off. I'd like to be able to turn Tilt Awake on because AOD just seems kind of like a waste. I mean, it's a little bit fashionable, but it's mostly a waste. But it's Tilt so Awake, faster. Tilt Awake is nice to be able to just tilt my wrist to look at my watch and I can see the time, and then I tilt back and it goes off, or I can tilt and I can look at my notifications, and it's useful. I don't feel necessarily the same way about AOD, but being able to so just stretch the, the past beauty, a day, you know? The beauty of AOD here is that you can view the time at any angle. It's having tilt to wake on, it, having the AOD off and tilt to wake on means that you have to, um, that you have to, co- you have to consciously move your wrist to see the time whereas if if it's the other way around at any angle and any 
not normal angle at any tilted angle even you can see that you can always see the time or in my case you can always see the complications which is you which is the best for ground stability but i agree with you tilt to wake is something that i've dis- i've disabled because that's i've noticed that to be a power drain um because you're it's very easy to turn in the, to enable to accident to accidentally trigger it in the first place but yeah i if and you would think with how much effort google put into optimizing the sensors you'd think that the the motion sensor would be among those and that it would just hmm. be okay because like if they can if it can check my heart rate once a second uh, why why does tilt awake need to use so much power i don't know Hmm. Yeah, there's something there. It's you wouldn't think tilt to wake requires that much power, but in practice, I think it's pretty power intensive. And I think on Wear OS, that has been the t- turning uh, tilt to wake off has been the pretty recommended thing among users for the past several years now. That hasn't changed. Um, but yeah, battery life. I think you could really. If that's if that's a you you you're an, if you only use like the AOD fourteen hours a day, or if you take your watch off in the evening and it's up, the screen is obviously off at night uh, when you sleep. I think where and it could be possible for some people to wear the watch to use it regularly and get it into a second day before having to charge. Thirty six hours at the very least seems right there, and I think the implications for this are are great for if you want to use it if you're traveling especially i th- I think this is a meaningful improvement right and c- combining the chip improvements with whatever it is that google's bringing to wear os for it should it should be sizable so um one last thing just like a random thing that's popped in my head as we're talking about pixel watch battery have you had issues getting your pixel watch to charge unless it's angled precisely correctly on your charger no i wouldn't say so um so is your chart is it is it weighing flat or are you doing it yeah, at, yeah. the watch is flat and the charge charging puck is flat yeah. too yeah it, i don't think i've had that issue um i guess you could charge it sideways maybe that helps a little bit but i don't know yeah. the magnets seem pretty aligned yeah it's it's weird sometimes i'll even have i'll even have to like unlock the watch and then when i unlock the watch it like recognizes in that second that oh yeah the charger is connected duh and i would play the animation. say yeah now that you mention it um so in the least maybe the march uh update for the pixel watch the last major quarterly update for the pixel watch they definitely changed it so that the charger takes it's not instantaneous anymore um once you place the puck on, there's like a good two, three seconds before the charging starts and the animation uh, loads correctly. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you're seeing, but it definitely takes some time now. It appears that um, the charger is negotiating with the watch in terms of making sure there's a proper charge. Um, I believe somebody in the community noticed something like that, but there's definitely a delay now. It's not instantaneous as it was before. Yeah, I guess that must be it. But anyway, that's a sidetrack. 
Mm. So for the final point is on the health front, because this is very much a Fitbit device, uh, we're hearing it has the same sensors as a Sense 2, as a Fitbit Sense 2, uh, specifically that you would have um, as an actual skin temperature sensor. So Fitbit devices today, um, you, like the Charge 5 and the Versa, they can... Uh, they can track variations in skin temperature using existing sensors, using the, which I assume to mean the existing heart rate um, array. But on the Sense 2, as well as the original Fitbit Sense, there is a dedicated skin temperature sensor um, that presumably works more accurately. And I don't know, could one day maybe open the door to actual, um, getting an actual surface temperature. But so yeah, that's an actual skin temperature sensor is coming to the Pixel Watch 2. And we also expect um, a continuous actual dermal activity, CEDA sensor for all day stress tracking. Um, on the Sense 2, the way this is used is it's slightly different from others. And I know Kyle, you're a fan from the Samsung Galaxy watches, but basically on the Fitbit, there you get a score, you get a stress tracking score. But what the CEDA allows in its current iteration is that after it senses that you're stressed on the watch, it'll ping you to take a, to like rate your stress level to, so that at the end of the day, you can log and correlate what's, what made you stressed. You know, on, on the watch, it'll also recommend like a, a breathing exercise. But that's how uh, Fitbit is currently using the CEDA sensor. I know there have been some people think it, that, that it takes too long to register that you're stressed and it takes too long to recommend a, uh, a calm down activity. But um, the Sense 2 was a, was it last year? There's, so, there's some time, and maybe there's some, some time with the Sense 2 has been out in the market and maybe Fitbit has collected data. And when they bring it over to the Pixel Watch, maybe it'll be more, it'll be quicker in recognizing these things. Yeah, I mean, the Pixel Watch uh, checks your heart rate more often than the Fitbit does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, so maybe that same idea could be applied here that these sensors that the Fitbit do- takes in one direction, the Pixel Watch optimizes and takes in a different one for a more uh, passive and through-the-day outlook on your health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's... Which all day stress tracking is. It's an appearing feature, as you can attest to. Yeah, I, I, I especially... I love the stress tracking. I love, like, realizing that my watch knows that I'm stressed and, like, oh, wow, okay, this is... If my watch can tell, then that means it's affecting my body and I should mm-hmm. probably do something about that because I know stress is just terrible for your health. And yeah, it's... I... I how are the how are the breathing exercises on Fitbit side? Because I, I like the ones that Samsung has included, and I'm surprised that I can't just install a simple app on my Wear OS watch that just makes me just like breathes or like buzzes to encourage me to breathe in a certain regu- uh, pattern. I may or may not believe in the principle of them. So yeah, no, it's it's. Two minutes is a very long time. That no, this is it speaks to me rather than the actual technology and implementation, which I'm sure a lot of people appreciate. But two minutes silence is 
I no, that's not for me, unfortunately. As much well, as I want to that's because be. you're a big old ball of stress. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, that is the Pixel Watch 2. Um, it's on paper, it's a big upgrade. Um, we're working towards. Yeah, it's we're work. It's we're working towards it. It's it's June tomorrow. Uh, um, we're getting into that season, into the next hardware season, and th- this is the Pixel Watch too. It's exciting, and uh, we can't wait to learn more about it. It's true, but uh, for now, uh, let's move on to the things that are here in our hands already. Uh, Abner, as I understand it, this past week you've been deeply using what Google has awkwardly called SGE or search generative experience. Yeah, <laughs> let's start with the name. So SGE or is Stadia Games what and Entertainment Google... <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. So yeah, SGE is what Google is calling generative search, a uh, generative AI applied to search. And yeah, the name it's it's SGE stands for search generative experience, but the E could very much be exper- could be experiment instead of experience. So that's a bit weird, but neither here nor there. And I I really don't think that's the final name. Um, I guess once it becomes integrated, it doesn't need to be. Um, SGE, we're pretty sure it's codenamed Magi. Um, that was the, the working name for this product. But yeah, um, so it came out on Thursday, I believe. I've been using it since then, including on the this busy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's it's all encompassing. It's my high level. Is that design wise, I like it a lot. I think Google created something cohesive visually, and it's surprising that it, it, per the rumors, Google was caught. Uh, rate in terms of a generative search compared to OpenAI and Microsoft at Bing. But this feels so much better as a search engine and it maybe speaks to how whole Google has all the search engine designers. They have the largest base. They do the most testing on this kind of stuff and maybe it's showing. Uh, but yeah, SGE is just an all-encompassing experience that my second takeaway was that you don't really have to leave it. Um, you can just use SGE and you don't have to go to featured snippets or you don't have to see the 10 boo links. Um, SGE is just right under the search bar. And I think for the, I think for most, for most people, with most queries, SGE will more than suffice. Um, the exception would be if you're actually like doing research, if you're doing work, um, on our line of field, and journalism and writing. I think SGEs might not be ready. I haven't really fully tested it out, but uh, the queries I was giving it over the weekend were very practical, very what to do or... Uh, just quick answers and SGE more than delivered, which I was surprised by. But I was, I wasn't expecting how it just works, and I can very clearly see that most people like it. I it's hard not to like. 
I think you also landed on it like you don't have to do anything special. Like you can just do the exact same thing you are going to do anyway, which is um, like here's right here from your article, what to do in San Francisco. You just you would punch that into Google search and there's one you click one button converse and it spits out everything that you could want ever want to know. Yeah, it's you don't have to go to Bard. You don't go to half. You don't have to go to chat GPT. It just is right where you're expecting the information to be. It's all encompassing. It's 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 I don't know. It's all encompassing. That's that was my big takeaway from it. And I I don't know if I was expecting it to be. Yeah, honestly, this is an unexpected thing in terms of how I felt that it was. Again, most people, most queries, this will be enough for them. And to the second takeaway I had, the scary consequences of being sufficient, it's good enough for most people. And the implications of that, which uh, we'll touch on some of those in a bit, but man if you don't have to click on links i i didn't feel the need to click on links like in these quick queries that i was making i i didn't feel like i needed to click through anything i just had the answer it just gave me enough and i didn't feel like i had to continue yeah and that's going to be the interesting thing is that it so one of the consequences we're going to get into a lot of them later on but one that we've touched on before is that if Google can just be the answer, then it might lead to there being less sources to give the answer because this this tool is built on the foundation of information published by others. So if that information ceases to be published because the AI essentially puts it out of business because Google's not driving traffic and not driving ad revenue, yeah, it... it it's a it's a tool that's going to end up being detrimental to itself if Google doesn't find a, a new way for publishers to exist inside of this model. Mm-hmm. And another thing I found interesting was instead with the converse mode, which is the chatbot mode, I know my initial reaction was instead of when I wanted to know something more, I wouldn't click on the link. I would just ask a follow-up question and... I've been a bit um, bearish on on generative AI in search, but I can I'm starting to see why people like it so much because instead of you doing the work, somebody else does it for you. And follow up questions, the conversational nature is powerful in a way that I don't think I've experienced since the since the early days of. Um, voice assistants when they were still so new and the promise was still so exciting. I think it's coming around to to how chatbots are a good UI for some use cases and this might be one of them to the detriment of clicking on a URL. Yeah, it, it honestly just lets you you can just get the answer. You don't have to read an article that where somebody spent time writing an answer or spent a couple seconds in a generative tool creating an AI answer and publishing it. There's It just gives you the information that you want. Sometimes verbatim, though, which is a little weird. Yeah, it's uh, we had that one of our articles um, 
that was an interesting thing. Maybe that's something that hopefully is something that gets fixed. But it's the question about how... So fundamentally, Google realizes it needs it needs to keep the web sustainable. It needs its, its sources of information need to be kept around. And I think Google fundamentally, um, intrinsically, crucially understands that that needs to keep happening. I don't think they're blind to the idea that they'll that they might damage the source, the source what's powering uh, generative search. But it's the balance. It's going to be that's going to be the challenge of the future. Right. Absolutely. So that, it it should be interesting to see how Google addresses this. There's going to be time for them to do so because we're currently expecting them to probably continue talking about AI at uh, Google that, Search On, yes. which is. Uh, Coming up soon, they haven't announced anything, but it's been pretty regular. So. Expected, yeah. And I guess the, the, the last takeaway is a, a more philosophical one. Google, to me, the idea, a search engine is something that directs you to other websites. That's intrinsically, a search engine is not the source of information. But, it, but with SGE, with generative search, I'm starting to feel like Google is no longer a search engine if it's doing the answering yourself. How much this is very, this might be just a semantical point, a point of order, but it's very different. And I'm the wild idea I had was what if SGE was not in the search engine, but rather an assistant? What if there were an assistant website where you could ask single queries to get answers? It's um, it's a half baked idea, but what if SGE was just limited to your phone? It's I don't know. I'm the publisher in me and us is trying to figure out if there's a better balance that keeps people uh reading and clicking through links. But from an early impre- again, my takeaway is that for most people, most queries, this will be enough, and that's frightening. Right, and that's the thing. There, Google's. Google is going to be extremely successful with this because they don't have to break user patterns. It's already in our nature to have a question and type it into Google search. Now Google search is giving the answer directly. So I I don't see them. I mean, they will put it into assistant is my uh, guess, but that would be an additive thing. Like you, if you ask a question to assistant, it will spit out a bunch of answers, but no matter what, you can still open a new tab in Chrome or go to google.com and just type in your question and you can get this generative answer. Mm-hmm. So in terms of other generative stuff, um, Magic Compose was also announced on the same day, um, last last week, and we've gotten some access to it. and. It's fun. It's uh, on the complete opposite of SGE. I found it fun in a way that I didn't expect. In, uh, in the same vein that I found I wasn't too sure on generative AI, um, Magic and Post is fun. Simple as that. There's two parts to it. There's a part where you, you can trigger... I. So this today you have Smart Reply. It uh, it offers you some chips and suggestions to select, but uh, the part the first half of Magic Compose is that 
you can activate it. It reads your, it, it sends your last 20 messages up to your last 20 messages to Google, to Google, to its servers to come up with a better contextual reply than smart reply. And I'm, it's still early days for testing that feature, but in theory, it should be much better, much more nuanced and smart reply. Anyways, once you enter something into the chat, into the RCS message field, um, then you can trigger the, the, the part of magic compose that people are more familiar with in that you can make it lyrical, you can make it Shakespearean and playing around with that. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's like, it's like a perfect weekend feature, getting ready for the weekend and having fun. I'm not sure how much I would use it for serious conversations, but it's fun. I unfortunately have not been given access to it despite having a uh, premium Google One subscription. But uh, I, yeah, it looks okay. I do have some questions about the privacy perspective of it because, I mean, you know, I am foolish enough to trust Google when they say that if they're going to delete it. I can trust that they're going to delete it. But I I can make that decision for myself, but I question sending other people's messages to google that way yeah yeah that's it's i mean once once the message is out of their hands they've hit send and sent it to me there's nothing they can do to stop me from taking a screenshot or doing whatever i want with that information so it's well within my right but it still feels like a a mild privacy violation and then i'd want to like tell the other person that i'm using this feature and that their their text is being given to google every time they talk to me however briefly yeah um per google's official line is that if they're just making it to they're just looking at the messages to create a response they delete it immediately afterwards it's not used for their training models so that's how they're being privacy conscious about it but yeah um (laughs) You mentioned Google One earlier. It's interesting. We've been waiting for this, but it looks like Google One will be how... Right now, Google One is how you get early access to SGE and eventually to Magic Compose, which Google originally said was launching over the summer, but they're slowly testing it now and getting that feedback. Um, But yeah, Google One... And I would not be surprised if the subscription were how you you get access to these features in the long run after they've launched because generative AI is computationally expensive and they need to charge for this kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's a sensible way to do it and it kind of ties into the subscription's name. Uh... Mm -hmm. It took a long time for Google One to get there to, to have that value, but it's definitely here. Especially with the addition of the VPN and all these other features, it's it's starting to be more than just extra storage. I mean, it was worth it just extra storage and support, but adding in, okay, early access to AI features. I, do you think that it's only early access, though? Or do you think that maybe Google would lock some of these features behind I one, like they do in photos today? Them. Yeah, photos is a good example. Um, I, I don't know the best way to split it but okay something like SGE it's going to be available for everyone because it has to be and the search the search product has the ad revenue to support it Um, Gmail um, they have ads in those um, 
inbox views so it makes sense how why help me write would be available for everybody in gmail when we start getting to google docs though there's nothing subsidizing the ai the features so to speak and i'm curious whether google has announced duet ai as how they're branding all these features in workspace i wonder if maybe maybe uh the help me write in google docs is free but everything else from uh, generative image uh, text to image in google meet and google slides or the stuff they're doing in google sheets i wonder if that will require a, a premium pay, you paying for it go using google one i mean that that's a very sensible model considering they already kind of do that through requiring or through lifting the Google Meet restrictions on free accounts if you pay for Google One. Mm-hmm. So th- there's already a model in place for that. Um, Definitely. You, you actually raised a really, or indirectly raised a really good point there when you said that there's ad revenue in search. At the moment, SGE kind of obscures, or not obscures, um, obviates. It, there the is ads no... aren't there yet. Yet, yeah, but yet. they're query testing it. They've they previewed that where it's going to be. It's going to be very prevalent in like um, product search, which is another big part. Searching, finding products, the best product is a, will be a big part of SGE. And you might see ads, might see sponsored results being the top um, suggestion. It will be marked, but it's going to be at the top of the list, which is, I guess, not too different from Google search today. Um, but yeah, the question is how they got to monetize messages because messages has no ads. Um, uh, is help me write going to be one of, sorry, is Magic Compose going to be one of those locked features? Well, you know, I think another key aspect here is that for whatever reason, Magic Compose currently requires RCS. It can't be done through SMS and MMS messages. So mm-hmm. by doing this, if they could make it a good enough feature, because right now you said it's fun, but it's not anything special. If they could yeah. make this a good yeah. must-have feature, then suddenly RCS starts looking a little bit shinier to those people who might want to convert from uh from iphone maybe yeah that's a stretch no that's that's no i i agree with you i was thinking that too it make it it makes sense for google to to make asia shiny um it's the the questions about whether it's compelling enough but if it's already part of google one and part of other stuff maybe that's better sell but i agree with you there's something there in terms of making asia so shiny and nice Right. So, I mean, that could be one angle on it. I mean, maybe they could unlock it for SMS if they um, if they could lock SMS and MMS behind Google One because that's you know just another step. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. It it that that'd be the only way I could think of. Yeah, because it's not too obvious in messages right now, or let's say even Gboard when we if that happens. Um, but yeah, it's. It's Google's AI features here. Um, the AI summer, it's happening. The Gen AI season and year even. And on that note, I think that's it for this week. Yeah, it's uh, been an, as always, it's been an insightful discussion. 
Absolutely. You can find us on YouTube and Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and your other favorite podcasting platforms. Um, until then, bye and see you next week. See ya.